0: Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 113. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Thanks for tuning into the Thread podcast. It's a podcast that put together for leaders and it will help give you the spiritual food straight from God's word as we go verse by verse through books of the Bible and we look for leadership lessons in particular from the great leaders of scripture. and We also note some mistakes that people made because the Bible is not just a book of things to follow but it's also there to guide us into a lot of things that we would do well to avoid. Well thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate uh, those of you that are leaving us um, iTunes comments and reviews and those who've been sending in questions uh, and those who've been leaving us some love on Facebook, I really appreciate you doing that. And uh, if you'll just continue to do that, you'll help us get the word out about the podcast, which is growing. Uh, Our listenership grows every episode and it's really exciting to watch it take off all over the world. People are tuning in and I'm glad that you tuned in today. Uh, And I don't know where you're at right now, but God has a word for you today, and He's going to encourage you as a leader, because leaders have to think differently from other people. They live in the future. They live in uh, bringing a preferred future into the present, and their actions are what takes the world forward. And so God bless you. If you want to be an influence on other people and lead the world into a better place, um, he's got a call on your life, and, and I'm just here to do what I can to ground you in Scripture so that you can do a great job with the calling that God has for you. Okay, today is a lesson about how you build the foundation of a new group. Uh, Paul had a dream in mind. He, he had uh, a vision in his mind of uh, bodies of people all over, at this point, all over Europe that would know the gospel, follow Jesus, love the Lord, know the Lord, be transformed by Christ, and be a transformational power in their culture. And he set about to accomplish this. And uh, we, we need to look at this. Uh, it's a really important lesson about the wisdom of how you build your organization or your church or, or your, your network, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, Paul was really clear on how you do it and how you don't do this now uh, sherry and I've been involved in church planning all of our ministry we've been part of planting and pastoring churches all along the way and I've seen some mistakes that people make uh, in trying to gather a circle of people to become a church the first one is what I might call the mystery grab bag it's like the the stores that have the merchandise and they want to get rid of it and so they just stick it in a A paper bag and they put you know a dollar or two dollars on it and you have no idea what's inside you don't know the value of the thing and you're not allowed to look you just have to pick it up buy it and go outside and see what you got and I've seen people actually do this they just scoop up a bunch of strangers with an event or with some kind of offer and then they in the very first meeting start handing out rolls To different people and give people positions, and then they just start, and their idea is we'll just fix the problems later, and let me tell you, they got lots of problems to fix later, and it's a frustrating way to do it, it's it's just so haphazard. Uh, Second way is uh, kind of the opposite, you steal people that you think are high quality, Uh, you entice them, you divide the group they're in, you try to split some of that group off, uh, you pirate quality people from other groups or other I mean in churches this is so far below the character of God that I just can't believe anybody does it but man it happens every day now the that's I mean we could talk a lot about how horrible it is to do this and what it does to because the church is a family and what it is to uh, to go in and do violence to the body of Christ I think I think God deals with people who do this. But, you know, one of the way He deals with them is that when they do this, they create an automatic filter, and they catch all the disgruntled, disloyal people, those who backbite their leader, and then they pull them to themselves to become their new group. And those who do this will, will ultimately get what they deserve. I remember a woman sitting in my living room, and we were counseling her, and she was all in tears about uh, how her husband has now started cheating on her with a younger woman, younger and prettier than her. And how can he do this? It's so unfair. And he's, it's just so, so wicked, this man. And then by the end of her hour of, of moaning, she said, oh, and it's, but I did the same thing. And we said, what did you do? And she said, well, I was the mistress in his first marriage. I'm younger than his first wife. So you know what goes around comes around, and Paul didn't do either one of these. He took a third approach entirely, and let's look at that. Now, let me give you a little background. Again, it's 49 A.D., uh, he, Christianity is about 20 years old, not quite. The movement is spreading now beyond Jews into Gentile regions of the world, and Paul is the, the greatest missionary force uh, and the group that he builds begins to take the gospel very effectively into city after city. And first he stayed near. He was outside of Israel, but he stayed in nearby countries in their region, in just in the area of Syria and around there. And now he has answered a call to go to Europe, the, the Macedonian vision. And he moved uh, his team, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, They have moved into Europe now, and they went to the capital city of Macedonia, which was Philippi, and there they led their first person to Christ. Her name was Lydia, and they cast a demon out of a a girl in town who walked around and gave um, readings to people as a spiritist, and he cast the demon out of her, and that created this big uproar with those who were the owners of the girl. He was thrown in jail. Then he led the jailer to Christ. And the prisoners also were influenced by Paul and Silas. But they got kicked out of town. So they went 90 miles southwest to the next town, Thessalonica. And Thessalonica has a natural harbor. It's on a major Roman road. It's, uh, and there they established the second European church. The first one is Philippians, the Philippian church. The second one is the Thessalonian church. And they established this church, amazingly, in only three weeks. Let's look at this. And, and it's a quality church. So let's look at what Paul did and how he, how he, what his methodology was, how he did it. I'm just going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 17, start with verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So there's some Jews in that city. There weren't many in Philippi. Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating, and here's his three-part doctrine. One, that Christ had to suffer, two, and rise from the dead, and saying, three, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Really important. Paul understood his method, and he followed the same method city after city. And here is one of his uh, secrets. It says, as his custom was, he went looking for the synagogue. Paul was searching for the social places, those watering holes in the culture where high-quality, sincere, spiritually sensitive people gathered regularly, and where these people had already become a network of friends. And he simply inserted the truth, the truth about Jesus, the truth about the kingdom of God, the truth about transformation. Now, one thing we need to notice that Paul is doing and what he is not doing, Paul was not building a brand of church you know, the, the whole modern—I've pondered this, and I, I don't know where it started, and I don't, frankly, know what to do about it, but, you know, it's, it was unthinkable in the early church that anybody would give a name to the thing that they were doing and make it a separate brand. They were just believers in Jesus. That's all there was to it. They didn't think of it organizationally, and they certainly weren't trying to brand it and logo it and, you know, do all the kind of stuff we do today automatically, it was, it was a movement, and he was not intending to build a new brand of, of gathering place. What he was inserting was not an organization. He was inserting truth. He was inserting uh, values. He was inserting a point of view and a specific doctrine. And he, all of that is wrapped up in what Paul calls the gospel. And Paul became totally confident. Of the power of the package of this ideology, that once he released the gospel around people, especially people who knew their scriptures, because it was the truth of God, he wasn't, uh, he hadn't made up something new. He had received a revelation from God himself, and this revelation was in the Old Testament. And there were millions of people that had already studied the Old Testament and had it in their heart and worshiped. Jehovah God. And Paul just simply was bringing them the new prophetic message that was right there in front of them all the time. He just brought them the truth. And he had so much confidence that once he released the truth, the truth would do its work. Now, these people went to synagogue weekly, although most of them were not Jews, as we see. They weren't even converts. They weren't even like Gentiles who became Jews because it wasn't a matter of just going to synagogue. You had to be circumcised, change your dress, change your food, uh, follow the law, your family defiled you. So your family, you had to distance yourself from your relatives um, in many levels. And so it was a massive decision. And a lot of Gentiles who did believe in Jehovah and they believed in the Scripture, they uh, they did not go that step. They were not willing to cut themselves off from their family. It didn't seem right to them. Uh, to do that, and so they didn't. But they did attend synagogue and they were allowed to to sit behind a partition. Uh, they couldn't mingle among the Jewish crowd because again, they would defile them uh, ceremonially, but they stayed in their zone to hear the Word of God. And so those were the people, especially that tuned into Paul. They were they're sort of second class citizens, and their heart had already connected to the deeper truths of the scripture without becoming uh, distracted by the numerous ceremonial uh, rituals that were also contained in the Old Testament. Somehow they got through the truth of the law and were able to see that those other things were at a different level as far as personal authority and, and lifestyle. So, you know, the, this long discussion, I guess, is what I'm tapping into about uh, how the law affects Christians today, how much of the law we're supposed to keep. And I think most people are, are pretty clear that we're, uh, we're not bound by all the ceremonies in the law, but that there is a moral law contained in Scripture, and everyone in the world is bound by that. Anyway, Paul had no desire to split this group. He wasn't there to trouble them. He had a deep burden for his people, and he knew that the people in that synagogue, most of them were just as lost as the Gentiles were, and they were lost because they were without Christ. And Paul was willing to die at their hands. He says later he's even willing to go to hell if they could all believe for the opportunity to deliver the truth to them so uh i mean paul did bring conflict when he came in the synagogues he brought conflict with him if you didn't want to receive the new message but you know it wasn't important to paul that we we keep everybody in the you know in the lifeboat that's about to go over niagara falls and just keep everybody happy he didn't mind stirring it up it's like get out of this thing i know it feels secure to you But you've got to go to God. You're still headed for judgment. Your life is not pure before him, though. Your own works can't save you. You've got to get off this legalistic path and wrap your arms around the cross and receive what Jesus has done for you through his blood and let him wash you clean and make you right with God. And it was an urgent message, and Paul was willing to go through anything for the privilege of delivering that. Now, I want you to ponder one more time uh, the method that Paul had. He he came to people who were already a network of friends, and he inserted a, a truth they did not know. It was always the truth; they just didn't know it. And uh, he didn't insert organization. There's a book called "The Starfish and the Spider," and it's really about organizations that are top down and led by an administrator who is focused on building staff, uh, building a, a, a you know a team that uh, works underneath his leadership versus um, something more like a starfish. You know, a starfish and a spider look the same, but if you cut the legs off of, of a starfish, you just helped it. You know, you can cut a starfish in 20 pieces and throw it in the water. What you did was you just created 20 new starfish because um, they're built differently. And uh, this book talks about movements that are not led – uh, by a top-down leader, but are led by an ideologue, uh, someone who's a prophet, someone who's more uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, like Geronimo. You know, Geronimo wasn't the, the voted-on head of his nation. Uh, he was a warrior, and he just said, I'm going to go attack, and anybody that wants to go, come with me. And they would go, and then it, even if they arrested Geronimo, it just made the others want to be Geronimos now. Uh, So there wasn't a system to disrupt, and there was nothing you could do. In killing Geronimo, you didn't hurt the nation. Uh, Others, he's just there for the thinking, you know. It's having a spiritual founder versus an administrator, and and Paul understood the difference in those, and he didn't want to be. And you can see Paul has no effort to become the administrator, and he actually fights against anyone attaching themselves to him, Uh, as the leader of their group he's disgusted with the thought of that and he he speaks about it a lot in first corinthians now in verse three paul had his elevator pitch ready and that's the one minute uh, explanation of what you're all about and so when paul walked into that synagogue he was ready to say what he was about these people all his audience was great they all love god they all believe the scripture they had just simply never heard the story of jesus In their life they had never heard about jesus they had never heard of his death they had never seen all the scriptures about him and the cross and the resurrection and our liberation and so paul taught them for three weeks in a row the exact same teaching number one let's look in the scripture messiah isn't just a king he has to suffer first These are the same, you know, the uh, the scriptures had a suffering servant and then it had a lot of scriptures about a messianic king. And what mainly Jewish theology had done is separate these and make them two different people because they couldn't see how they could be the same person. And Paul said, no, they are the same person being described. The suffering servant is the Messiah. He must suffer first. Second part of his message. Many men have suffered. That doesn't make them the Messiah. You will know Messiah because he will rise from the dead. And scripture says so. And so he showed them that. And then he came to the third point and he said, Jesus did all of this. He is God's messenger. He came to save all of us. And this is a wonderful news to most of the group. He came to save Gentiles too. And, the ver- and verse four said, devout women. These are the wives of the merchants and the government officials. Uh, Devout women believe the message, Jews believe the message, Greeks believe the message, and Paul ends up with this ethnically diverse circle of people who really believe the gospel and are changed by it. And the scripture says, and I like how the, the phrase is turned, it says they joined Paul and Silas, because that really is how this works. People buy into you before they buy into your message And this crowd has joined Paul, and they've joined Silas. So they join Paul and Silas. They have a personal bond that connects them to the message, and this bond is with the one who brought them the gospel. Well, that's the wonderful good news. Then we run into trouble again. Paul always, I like that he's so tough about this, because he can anticipate this is going to happen. Uh, he just doesn't know when it's going to happen. So in this case, he got to go for... Three, imagine the tension. He's gone for three weeks into the temple, and, I mean, there's excitement. I mean, the synagogue. Uh, and synagogues were not large. So he's gone in there. You could feel the buzz in the room. You know, the first time he's a stranger, after he speaks and says what he says... Oh, wow. Now there's lots of energy and he's got the whole week to follow up and spend time with the people who want to talk more about this. And we can we can anticipate that he was in their houses. And so, you know, this is 21 days of teaching and he's in their houses. And he's showing them the scriptures and he's he's dialoguing with them and people are doubtless being baptized. And, you know, there's change going on. The second week he comes back, well, now everybody knows what he's about. And I'm sure the place is packed. And there's a group in there, as there always are, you know, as there always is, there's a group that, I don't know, it just seems like even God's spirit has a very difficult time with empowered, conservative, traditional, religious people. They're just different, you know, when they have power, they don't want to lose their power and out of fear. And this scripture says out of envy, you know, out of their insecurity, they see the the uh, impact that Paul's having. They see the excitement and the exuberance. And it could have become a whole synagogue of God following, celebrating people, you know, the the word was clear. Paul was a great Bible scholar, and he was showing them it's right here. Jesus is a Jew. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. The Scripture says he would be, you know, but the Scripture says out of envy, They began to start this big riot, and they went and found evil people that they could incite to join them, and they created an uproar. Verse 5, they made a mob, and they tried to come and get Paul, who was at that point staying in the home of someone named Jason, and somehow Paul found out about it, and the brothers were able to get him out of there. So when they burst into the house, and he's not there, then they grab Jason, they haul him uh, and some other brothers, according to verse 6, to the rulers of the city. Now, the devout women who followed with Paul might have been some of the wives of the rulers of the city. And so these guys are already uh, a little bit troubled at what's going on with their wife. Uh, and so they they come down hard on them. They. Uh, they take security. At least they don't beat anybody this time. They take security from Jason. They arrest him, and then they set bail, and they set the time for the hearing, and then they let him go. And once again, Paul has to move out of town. So he does go. He doesn't go very far. He just goes a few, a few uh, cities down the road, and then he sends Timothy back. He actually sends Timothy back two more times in the next year. And he writes to them the first book of the New Testament, First Thessalonians, as he writes back, based on what Timothy is coming to tell him, and he writes this beautiful letter to the Thessalonian church. And he says to them, you know what? You guys are famous for your faith. So this is a solid church. They're a blessing all over the province of Macedonia. And another thing that we see about this church was that they knew their Bible, they knew their scriptures, and that by the time he writes them, this is only a year later. And Paul, as far as we know, left them no system of government. He didn't leave them leaders. He didn't leave them, uh, you know, he, he didn't set anything up. They were built around an ideology, and they were built around the scriptures. And these people were still hammering out doctrines based on what Paul said and based on now how they, the blinders were off of their eyes and they saw the scriptures differently, and they are, by the time he writes them, and again, this is a year later, they're working on the theology about last things, the dead, resurrection from the dead, the second coming of Jesus. And Paul writes in the, in the book to the Thessalonians and the second book, his most detailed understanding about these things, including a doctrine of the thing called the rapture that we talk about. Uh, These even up till these days, it was a powerful, growing circle of believers. And they were fueled with faith and worship and outreach and a love for God's word, all without very much uh, further involvement from Paul. Uh, He started with quality people and he trusted their ability to hear from God and to walk with God once they had had the same experience that he had had, and he built his work not on organization, but he built it on ideology and on experience with Christ. He wanted them to believe the right thing, know the truth. I guess I should say it that way. He wanted them to know the truth know it for themselves, experience it for themselves, and let organizational rappers come and go and change as they needed to. See, Paul thought kingdom versus denominational. And, you know, the church was never a building for 300 years. And these people, as far as we know, didn't have a building and they didn't need one because they were a movement, not an organization. And movements are powerful and they are difficult to contain. And the gospel began to spread across Greece and then throughout all of Europe. So powerful example of how to start new things, especially new things related to the expansion of God's kingdom. I would love to hear from you. If you want to write me personally, my personal email is chuck at Quinley.com. You can write me there. If you enjoy the thread podcast, please uh, go to Quinley.com slash love and give a little note out to your Facebook friends. Tell them about thread podcast and they can find it on Quinley.com. We'd appreciate you doing that. And also if you'll go Quinley, dot com slash iTunes and give us a rating on Facebook uh, sorry on the iTunes Network. We would really, really appreciate that. That's all for now. See you next time on Thread. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com. Thread.